Amen. That was beautiful. It's great to see you all tonight. Uh, we have been celebrating Advent for the whole month of December, and it culminates in this evening where we get to gather as God's people and celebrate the birth of Jesus, our Savior. So for the next hour, we're going to sing a bunch of songs. We're going to tell the Christmas story. We're going to invite you kids up to come help tell the story, uh, and we're going to study God's Word for a few minutes, and, and we're going to take this, this next hour to pause out of the busyness of this season. I feel like uh, at Christmas Eve, we have all this stuff on our mind. We have uh, cooking that needs done. We we have last minute shopping that isn't done yet. We have uh, all these things that are going through our minds, but God has blessed us with this incredible moment right here where we can pause from the hecticness of all of that and say that Jesus is the reason that we're gathering, that Jesus is the one who has changed our hearts and Jesus is the one who has changed the universe. And so West Christmas, when we talk about it being this miracle of God with us, that's not just true 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born. That's true in this very moment here in this, this smelly elementary school gym, right, that we can and celebrate the fact that Jesus did come, Jesus has come, Jesus is coming again. And because of that, we can worship him as not only the, the baby who was born on Christmas, but the man who grew into the risen king who defeated sin and death for us. So let's, let's worship Jesus for the, these next few minutes, and let me pray to get us started. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person that is here. I thank you for the fact that out of the busyness of December, that you have given us just this, this brief moment where we can stop, where we can take a deep breath, where we can focus on you. And we can meditate on this amazing truth that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You, you took up residence in our neighborhood, that you, you came in and uh, embodied a physical existence out of your love for us. And I pray that with all the different things swirling around, all the things to do, that I pray that, that these next few minutes would be an impactful time for each of us, that we would be able to meditate on the beauty of your son and that we would all leave here more in love with you than when we came. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, as they're finishing with the props, I want to ask you guys a question, okay? You're going to have to think really, really hard, so put your thinking caps on. Who knows what tomorrow is? Wow, you guys are so smart. I know today is Christmas Eve. It's so exciting. One day till Christmas. Christmas is tomorrow. So who can tell me the best part of Christmas? Maddie. Jesus' birth. You got it. First, first time. So tomorrow is the day we celebrate Jesus' birth, and the Bible tells us the story of his birth. So Mr. Batelli and I are going to read you the story of Jesus' birth. So he's going to give you a little bit of directions, and then we're going to start, okay? Okay, and so we need your help, boys and girls, to tell this story. The story of the very first Christmas, okay? And so when you hear... Your part, if you're an angel or a shepherd, all right, I want you to stand up so all the rest of the kids can see you. Can you guys do that for me? Okay, and we'll, we'll try to help you do that. We'll try to help you stand up. We'll try to tell you when, okay? All right, here we go. We're reading from Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. That's a hard name, Quirinius, right? Anybody have a friend named Quirinius? Anybody? Raise your hand. Nobody? Sure? You have a kid in your class? How many no? of you wish your parents named you Quirinius? Raise your hand. That's a hard name, yeah. You'd be the only one in your you class with that name. All right. It says, And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee 
from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. What does that mean? She was with child. Yeah? Yeah, she was going to have a baby, right? Who was, who was, who was going to be born? Jesus. That's right. All right, he's coming. Verse 6, it says, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. You guys know what a manger is? Emily, what's a manger? That's right. And what, what, did, um, what, did, what did the animals do with the manger? What did they do? They did what? Okay, yeah, they, they all slept in the stable or the, yep, right here. They ate from it, right? So, ooh, that's kind of gross. It probably was kind of smelly, right? And all the cows. Do we have any cows? Yeah. By the way, what do you call a cow with a twitch? No? Beef jerky. Dad joke. Dad joke. <laughs> Dad joke. Where are our angels? Okay, there they are. All right, here we go. Get ready. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds. Shepherds. Stand up, shepherds. shepherds. There were shepherds. Where are the shepherds? If you have we, a brown thing on your head, shepherds. you're a shepherd. Alex. All right. There we go. Stand up. Good job. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Where's our angels? Angels. Stand angels. up. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom with whom he is pleased. Can all the angels say glory to God in the highest? Good job. Good job. So when the angels went away from them, so angels, you can sit down into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, oh, shepherds, back up. We need shepherds. Shepherds. Where are you? Shepherd, shepherd. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Good job, Alex. March, march. Which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, that means really fast, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Gotta run. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. Wow. And verse 21 tells us that they named the baby what? Jesus. Jesus. That's right. He's the Savior of the world. And guys, that's the reason we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate the birth of Jesus who came to save us. And so, who, you know that. Raise your hand if you know that. All right. Well, we want you to know it, and we want everyone to know it, okay? 
All right, will you guys bow your heads and close your eyes with me so we can pray? All right, let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you so, so much that, God, you came to this earth to save us. Lord, we all come here together tonight to worship you. We pray, Lord, that you'd be honored and glorified as we celebrate your coming, God, that you ultimately came to save us, God. We pray that everyone here would experience your never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. We love you so much. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, you guys go back to your seats. Awesome. Great job, guys. That was fantastic. And lots of wonderful angels and shepherds and everyone ready to go. Uh, that's one of my favorite parts of the uh, Christmas uh, Eve service we do every year, getting everyone ready. Uh, uh, hands down, the best part was because uh, Jesus came to save the world, right? Like, I know that. <laughs> Boring. Tell me something I don't know. I've heard that one before. Um, and that's actually like, I mean, that, what a great timing. That's, you can't script stuff with kids. But the beautiful thing about that is that's the perfect setup for where we have been this entire month of December as a church. Uh, Advent is a little bit of a, a strange season for us every year because we're always preaching on the same thing. We're talking about the same thing. And just like our, that wise little one pointed out, a lot of us approach the Christmas story with this idea of, I know that already. I've already heard that. Tell me something I don't know kind of thing. But what we need to have every single year is this reorientation of our heart, this refocusing of our mind, where we say the most important thing is that fact that Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And so, so what we've been doing for the last few weeks is looking at Jesus, uh, the roles that Jesus plays as prophet, priest, and king. And so tonight I'm just going to kind of recap that for the next five to ten minutes about what it means for Jesus to be our prophet, our priest, and our king. And, and the reason this is important is because we can so often approach the Christmas story with that attitude of, of I've already heard that before. What, what do I really need to know? But when you look at Jesus from these three angles, the three roles that he plays as our prophet, our priest, and our king, it opens our eyes to see how much we desperately need Jesus ourselves. And, and our prayer tonight is that we would have that deeper awakening of our affections for Jesus. And so what we've done the last few weeks is look at this quote from John Calvin. And this is going to be the, the last time we read it here tonight together. And so John Calvin's a, a 16th century reformer, uh, and he, he says it this way. He says, Among heretics and false Christians, Christ is found in name only. But by those who are truly and effectually called of God, he is the, acknowledged as a prophet, a king, and a priest. And so our desperate and fervent and passionate prayer for all of us tonight is that we would leave not just acknowledging Jesus in name only, but we would see him as these three things, prophet, priest, and king, and how much that changes each of our individual lives. Because I think in our culture, like Christmas is such a popular time of year to just acknowledge Jesus in name only without thinking about what it means to say that he is our savior. I mean, because, he's, because he is everywhere. He's He's in all these Christmas songs. He's in all the manger scenes. It's, it's, so, it's so easy to slide into this boring religion that says, I'm going to do the Christian things. I'm going to check the religious boxes. I'm going to a Christmas Eve service because my family wanted me to go. I'm, I would, on a survey, I would say that I'm a Christian because I know I'm not a, a Buddhist or something else like that. But we don't ever think about what does it mean to actually be a follower of Christ, not to just acknowledge him in name only, but to submit our lives to him. Because if you think about like acknowledging someone in name only, there's lots of people who I know their names that I don't know anything about and I'm not actually in a relationship with them. There's plenty of celebrities that I know their names and I know a few facts about them, but I've never actually had a face-to-face -face conversation. 
There's other people in government that I know their role and the function that they play, but I have no idea what their character is like or what makes them tick or what their, what their personality is. And so this morning, what we're, or this morning, this evening, what we're trying to do is say, if we can actually move beyond just acknowledging Jesus in name only and actually see him as the relational savior, saving God that he is, what would that change about our perspective of him? And we don't want to just understand these things about who he is. We want to embrace these wholeheartedly with all of our affections and say that it's not just that I know Jesus to be these things, but I've experienced him to be these things. I've embraced in my life that he is these things. And so we're going to look real quickly at this idea of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. And the passage that we've been coming back to every last three weeks is Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. I think this is the best place where we see all three of these offices laid out so clearly. And so again, we're going to look at these not just to understand what it means for Jesus to be prophet, priest, and king, but to embrace what it means for Jesus to be prophet, priest, and king. So Hebrews 1, beginning in verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So we're going to start just tonight with the prophet. What does it mean for Jesus to be a prophet? A prophet is someone who brings the word of God to the people. And so what that means is that God is so different than us. God is so much exalted and, and just completely unlike us that unless he stoops to our level and tells us who he is, there's no way in our finite small minds that we can understand the truth of who God is. And that's why God speaks through prophets. God reveals himself to prophets who then take the word of God to the people. And so if you think about that, that makes sense. If someone is greater or smarter than you, they have to stoop to your level in order for you to understand them. And this is not condescending in a, in a mean way, but if you think about like when your kids were learning to clean up their toys, you didn't just say, hey, go pick up your room. You had to like go sit down on the floor, show them where the Legos go, show them where the trains go, and you're, you're condescending to their level saying, this is what it means to clean your room. In the same way, when Jesus comes to the earth, when God speaks to us through prophets, he's speaking at our level. He's condescending to our level. And so in the Old Testament, there was no prophet greater than the prophet Moses. So Moses was the first uh, major prophet who, who encountered God in a face-to-face way. He spoke to God as a man speaks to his friend, is what we're told. And, and, and so Moses brought the law to the people. People. There's no prophet greater than Moses. But the problem is, uh, even Moses, with, with that intimate relationship with God where he spoke to him as a friend, Moses did not accurately relay the word of God every time. Okay, at the end of Moses' life, the reason he wasn't allowed into the promised land is because he had twisted the word of God and he had made it more about him than about the glory of God. So even a prophet as great as Moses is not able to accurately communicate the truth of God to us. And that is why we need Jesus to be our prophet. That's why in Hebrews, he says that God has spoken to us, to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, okay, the, the final moment where, where history comes to a climax is when Jesus takes on flesh and he embodies the truth of God for us. He has, he has spoken to us by his son. What that means is we don't have to question what God is like. We don't have to scratch our heads and say, you know, maybe there's a God out there. But we just can't know him. We're just, we just have no way of knowing. What we do know is that God has spoken to us through his son. And so when you read the scriptures, you read the words of Jesus, you're encountering the person of God in the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it means for Jesus to be our prophet. Okay, but the next thing we need to talk about is a priest because when God brings his word to us, the first thing that we see is that we are not godly. Okay, we are not righteous. We are not holy. When God tells us his truth, the first thing that I come to understand is how often I fall short of that truth. 
So when we talked about this a few weeks ago, we said, imagine that, that every thought you had go through your mind this last week. Imagine we had the technology to project that onto the screen so we could all watch your thought life for the last week. Okay, wouldn't that be a terrifying, horrifying, miserable thought? Okay, but the truth is, like, God knows our deepest thoughts. God knows our struggles. God knows our temptations. Uh, and, and those things, when you think about the fact that you have done some, some horribly wicked things in your mind and, and in your life throughout your, your existence here on earth, when you think about how, how bad of a person you can be, what that does to us is it fills us with shame. We, we say, when I, when I think about how good God is and I think about how much I fall short of God, the only right feeling that I have is one of shame and despair. Okay, I have a friend who's a pastor in town who says that the thing about shame is the only way to be rid of your shame is to be fully exposed and fully loved. But the problem is, is when I am fully exposed, I realize that I am unlovable. Okay, the things that bring me shame, the things that I, that I think about and I realize how, how short I fall of God's standards, those things, I, I fear that if you really knew those about me, you would see that I am unlovable. And God knows those things about me. So how in the world could God love someone like me? And that's why we have this idea of a priest come in. Because in the Old Testament, a priest is someone who would make a sacrifice for the people. They would, they would sacrifice a pure and spotless lamb so that the blood of the lamb would atone for or would make payment for or, or bring reconciliation to God and the the people. And so in the Old Testament, there's no greater prophet than Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother, and he was the one who went into the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies, and encountered the presence of God in a way that the rest of us will never understand on this earth what it would have been like to be in that tabernacle. So Aaron was the greatest priest who would, would make these sacrifices to atone for the sins of the people. But the problem with Aaron is he was not a perfect priest. Okay, when, when an Israel came out of Egypt and, they, and they, they crossed the Red Sea and Moses was on the mountain too long, who is the one that makes the golden calf that the people worship and they, they, they go after the calf instead of going after God? Aaron himself is the one who fashioned the golden calf. So, so how can Aaron be the priest that we need when he falls short just like the rest of us do? Okay, and that's why we come to Jesus and we see that we need a better priest, a priest like Jesus. We see this again in, in Hebrews chapter 1. He says that after making purification for sins, so Jesus, because Jesus was sinless, because Jesus had never done anything wrong, because Jesus had no reason to be filled with shame, he could not only be our priest, he could be the sacrifice for our sins. When he, when he went to the cross, he took our sin upon himself and he died in our place for our sins, but he didn't stay dead three days later, right? He rose again from the dead and that act of sacrificial death and resurrection is what purified us, it cleansed us, it washed us clean from our sins. Those things, he says, after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay, and, and when, when, a, when a priest sits down, it means that his work is done. He has nothing left to accomplish. It is finished were his last words on the cross. And because of it is finished, there is nothing that the rest of us have to do to try to atone for our sins because Jesus has already been that priest that can remove our shame and restore to us a relationship with God. That's prophet and priest. The next thing we see is Jesus as king. Okay, because when I think about my sin, I see that my sin comes in relation to God's holiness. That's the prophet piece. And then the priest is the one who recognizes with me that I need something to pay for my sin, to atone for my sin. But the problem is, after my sin is atoned for, what then? What do I do with my life? Because I know that my tendency, my heart, is to always drift back into the same sins and struggles that I've had for so many years. But the reason we need Jesus as a king is because a king is the sovereign, all-powerful ruler over the territory that he has claimed as his. 
And so in the Old Testament, there was no king greater than David. David was the, the king par excellence for the, the nation of Israel. He did, he did everything better than any king ever would in the nation of Israel. But even a great king like David used his power and his authority to rape a member of his kingdom, to have her husband killed, and then to use his power to cover up the sin that he had committed. Okay, even David, having a man that had his, his heart was after God like no one else who had ever lived before him. Even David abused his power. He used his kingship for his own selfish ends. And that's what, what all of us can tend to do is use our authority and our power and, and try to make things go the way that we want them to. So even if, if David can struggle in that way, it means we need a better king. And that's what we see in King Jesus. It says that, that through Jesus, he created the world. Okay, and if Jesus is the creator of the world, he is the sovereign ruler of the world. If you, have the, if you have the power to create something, you have the authority to rule over what it is that you created. So Jesus, as the creator, is also the king. And it says that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Okay, Jesus is so powerful that his word, his, his spoken authority, is what holds the entire universe together. Okay, if Jesus ceased to be holding the universe together for one moment, every single atom in the universe would just dissipate into nothing and we would all cease to exist. By the word of his power, he upholds the universe, which, do you know what's comforting about that? Is it means I don't have to hold things together. Okay, when I try to, when the, the tension and the pain in my life and the pain in my family's life comes because I think I have to be king of my own little universe, I have to be the one to hold, hold things together and control them. But when we see Jesus is the better king, we know we don't have to do that. He is already the one who is upholding the universe by the word of his power. So you put these three things together, prophet, priest, and king, and you see that, that, that we need a prophet who will point out to us our sin and the ways that we fall short. Okay, we need a priest who can atone for our sin, who can remove the shame from us. And we need a king who will lead us away from our sin and into the presence of God instead. But if you look at Moses, you can say, I will never be Moses. Moses was a way greater prophet than I ever could be. I will never be Aaron. Aaron was a way greater priest than I could ever be. And, and David was a way greater king than I could ever be. It, clearly, we need a better prophet, priest, and king. And thus, the beauty of Christmas. Right? That's the beauty of the incarnation, that, that Jesus became God with us so that he could then take us to be with God. That's the, the beauty of what we're talking about here. So then you, you look at Jesus and you say, how do I not only understand what he has done these things for, but how do I embrace them in my heart that he can be my prophet, my priest, my king? He can be the one who reveals God to me. And I can, I can go to Jesus and say, the reason I know there is a God is because I've encountered the person of Jesus. The reason I can, go, I can go to Jesus and have my sin atoned for is because he is my priest who has removed my shame. The worst thing that I have thought or said or done means nothing because Jesus' blood on the cross has already washed that away completely. Okay, in my rebellion, the fact that I want to go do my own thing so often, I can turn to Jesus as king and I say, I don't have to live for myself. I can give my life being willing to live for Jesus because Jesus is the only one who can hold all of these things together. And so if you look at Jesus, you see that he is the best prophet, priest, and king because he not only embodied these things, or not only was these things in heaven, but he was willing to take on flesh and to come to the earth to live out these things for us. Okay, so a prophet who speaks the word of God. Jesus could have just shouted the word of God from heaven, but he didn't. He came and took on flesh and, and lived among us and was God's word with us by being a baby born in a manger. Okay, he could have just said, hey, okay, you guys are sinners. You go clean yourself up and then come back to me. But he didn't do that. He came as our priest and said, I'm willing to take your sin upon myself to remove your shame because I love you that much. And he could have just said, you know, like you guys are this, you're on your own. You're rebels. I'm going to use my power to squash your rebellion. But because Jesus loved us, he didn't use his power to crush us. 
he used his power to give up his power. He became vulnerable by being born as a helpless infant in a manger so that he could grow into the king that is, is obeyed perfectly in all the ways that we never could. Okay, so that's when we put those together, we see Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king. And it's not just a question of who is Jesus in the universe, because whether any of us here assent to these ideas or not, Jesus is those things. Okay, Jesus as the creator of the universe is already ruling as king. The question we have to ask is, is he my king? Okay, Jesus has already made the perfect sacrifice once and for all on the cross. But the question is, do I trust him? Have I put my faith in him so that his sacrifice has paid for the penalty of my sins? And Jesus is the word of God. He has already spoken truth. But the question is, do we submit to that truth? Have we come to him and said, I believe that you are God in the flesh who has come to save us. God, Jesus came, God with us, so that we could then go and be with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this, uh, this, this little moment here where we could just talk about the roles that you play as prophet, priest, and king. Lord, and I know that, that, that apart from your Holy Spirit working in our hearts, those words mean nothing to us. Okay, we, we left to our own sin and selfishness. We would never see you as the prophet who speaks truth. We would never come to you as the priest who can atone for our sins. And we would never submit to you as the king of the universe and the Lord of our lives. But I pray, Lord, by the miracle of your Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to see those things tonight. That if we have come in here and we've been far from you or distant and, 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 and doubted whether you were for us or not, I pray that we would reflect on the beauty of you becoming a child born in a manger and that in that beautiful truth, we would see our hearts stirred with affection and warmth and love for you so that we could submit our lives to you as our prophet, priest, and king. As we continue to worship you now through song, I pray that, that, that these words would not just be, be uh, words on our tongues that just flow out meaninglessly, but they would come from our hearts as a reflection of the love and the, the, of the grace that you have placed there by your Son. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.